How many of you, I don't know, are, are cartoon addicts, but cartoon watchers, how many of you that have watched cartoons have seen the cartoon series Avatar, The Last Airbender? How many of you, some of you are really confident about your hand raising. I see, let me, I want to really get a look at these people. Okay. All right, all right. We actually had a minister, a longtime minister in Sherman, raise his hand right away. Uh, that he's, I was, wow, he's seen uh, the last airbender. Uh, but, but anyway, um, the, this, for those of you that have watched that, know the, know the half, hour, half hour series, uh, our two daughters and uh, our oldest daughter's husband uh, talked me into to watching it. So we've, we've, seen, we've seen several episodes. I think we're in... Uh, season three of it, but the whole, uh, I'll just give you just a brief outline of it for those of you that really, really deeply want to understand the depth of uh, the airbender, uh, the last airbender avatar. Uh, it basically works kind of from, you know, the, not kind of, it does work from uh, Eastern religion kinds of concepts that you have these four elements, the, uh, you have air, you have fire, you have earth and you have water. And each nation, there is, a, there is a, an, a, an, the earth nation, the fire nation, the, the water nation, the water tribes, and of course, where would the water tribes live on earth? They would, of course, live in the North Pole and the South Pole, where you have a lot of water uh, in, in those areas. So, uh, so earth, water, fire, and air. Now, uh, the individual in whom the whole series uh, focuses is the avatar. He is this boy who uh, ran away from his destiny and got frozen in a, in a giant uh, iceberg uh, with his flying air bison, Appa, for, uh, for a mere 100 years. Okay, so then he, then he wakes up. But he's the last avatar. In the process of things, the Fire Nation... Who, ha who people in that, uh, in that nation have the ability to bend fire, to use fire for power and destruction. The, the, air, the airbenders can use the air and work with the air almost in a magical way to do all things uh, with the air. The water tribe can use water in battle and, and freeze you and do all kinds of different things and, and, and uh, good things as well. But, so they have all these powers. But the avatar is the one who can develop and learn all four of the powers. And as a result of learning all four of the powers, he can defeat the fire nation and restore balance to the world. Because ultimately, uh, it's not a matter of the earth nation here or the fire nation here. It is a matter of the avatar can bring it all into one. Happiness and harmony, that's what counts with, with people. So anyway, that's, that's the whole uh, purpose of the story. Some of you may not be aware of, of that, but some of you may be aware of earth, wind, and fire. Any, anybody uh, lost uh, in, in the 70s with me? Earth, wind, and fire. Uh, and they, if you, if you read about earth, wind, and fire, that, that group of, of the 70s, they, they have a lot of those beliefs that come into, uh, into their music. They're what I would consider a happy band, one of the happy bands of the 70s. Chicago was a happy band. I thought they had a lot of happy music. ELO, one of the happiest bands I've, I've ever seen. They have very happy music. Sun is shining in the sky. There ain't a cloud in sight. It stopped raining. Uh, you know, it's a beautiful blue day. All of those uh, happy, happy songs. Well, uh, 
Earth, Wind, and Fire was a happy, song, a happy band. They, they sang a song called Fantasy. Don't know how many of you remember that. I'll, I'll just give you the first stanza. Uh, that, that speaks to this oneness, uh, this happiness and harmony uh, that we can all come to, to experience. Every man has a place in his heart. There's a space and the world can't erase his fantasies. Take a ride in the sky on our ship, fantasize. All your dreams will come true right away. And we will live together until the 12th of never. Our voices will ring forever as one. Remember, anyway, some of you remember that song. But, uh, it, but it's all about this bringing things to one and that all of these things work in harmony if we can get them to bring them them to one. Now, uh, I have just a little bit more nonsense before we begin today. In Star Wars, with the Force, you have the midichlorians, uh, and some of you are very aware of the midichlorians, from starwars.fandom.com. Midichlorians were microscopic intelligent life forms that originated from the foundation of life in the center of the galaxy and ultimately resided in the cells of all living organisms, thereby forming a symbiotic relationship with their hosts. The Force spoke through the midichlorians, allowing certain beings to use the Force if they were sensitive enough to its powers. In order to gauge an individual's potential in the Force, blood tests were used to estimate the number of midichlorians within the subject's cells. Anakin Skywalker, the chosen one, possessed the highest known count in galactic history, over 20,000 midichlorians, which exceeded even the potential of Grandmaster Yoda and all Jedi. Without the midichlorians, Qui-Gon Jinn told Anakin Skywalker when he was young, life could not exist and we would have no knowledge of the Force. The midichlorians continually speak to us, telling us the will of the Force. When you learn to quiet your mind, you'll hear them speaking to you. Personally, I find it uh, telling how various uh, designs in science fiction, uh, writers, fantasy epics, even these Eastern religions try to, try to depict these, these spiritual constructs of everything being as one. And we see it across the board. And what's the, what's the origin of this? I mean, I think to some degree we would say the origin is from the God of this world, the God of this world who puts these different thoughts in, in minds, especially in terms of the Eastern religions that are anti-God and anti-understanding of, of the Bible. But it's also mankind without that knowledge trying to construct different ways to understand what, what is life all about? What's the purpose of life? What, what happens to us after we die? Is there some purpose beyond this life that I have? I'd like to address one of these oneness concepts today. As, uh, and, and I think it's a very a critical piece uh, for us to study as we near this season. It depicts a construct that is in existence day in and day out of our lives. But it also, especially during this time of year, gives us a certain grasp of how all things agree as one. Let's, uh, 
Let's begin in the chapter where we'll come to this, this construct that the Apostle John, the last of the apostles, uh, of the original apostles, and even the last uh, in that he followed the Apostle Paul, discussed in the book of 1 John. So let's go to 1 John today. We'll start in verse 1 of chapter 5. So to set the stage, I, I think most of us are aware of, of this individual, John, the one who uh, rested on the bosom of Jesus Christ uh, during that, that Passover service, that, that last supper, so to speak, that Christ had with his disciples. Uh, John has, has lived uh, all this time. When Jesus Christ was on the cross, he looked over at John and, and said, Behold your mother. And, and, and that, uh, that disciple, that apostle, cared for her uh, from that time forward. That apostle watched the other apostles and, uh, die, and, the, and many, many in the church suffer persecution and death. And here he is in the 90s AD, exiled on the Isle of Patmos, and he's recognizing as well his own, his own uh, death to come soon. And here he has, he has written, we've got the the Matthew, Mark, and Luke Gospels, but he's coming from it from a slightly different perspective, a perspective of having gone through the, the, that first era of the church and seeing everything that's happened, realizing he's about to die and there are people that are going to continue on. And he's saying, come, Lord Jesus, come, uh, as he says at the end of the book of Revelation. Uh, but he knows there's going to be some time ahead and he's, he's striving to give God's people a, a clarity of, of what this is all about. Uh, so let's, let's begin here in, in uh, chapter 5, verse 1, uh, to discuss, to lead up to this statement that we're going to cover today. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. This person is, is procreated, uh, ganao, uh, engendered by God. This person has been sired by God, sired by the Holy Spirit. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is, has been uh, procreated by God. Everyone who loves him, who, who in the same word ganao, who procreated him, uh, also loves him who is ganao of him, who is, uh, is is procreated of him. So verse 2, by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. There is a, a marker of, of God's people and a marker that we are in the love of God if we are walking in his commandments. That, that's a marker. We don't run from that. We, 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 don't, we, don't, we don't put that above the, what what Jesus Christ's death has done for us, but, but one of the markers of God's people is that they will, be, they will love God and they will do so through the keeping of his commandments. Verse 3, for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. So whatever is engendered by God or engendered of God, uh, this ganao, uh, born of God, overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Our faith, our, our understanding, our grasp of, of what this is and what's going on, even though we can't see it, we, we understand and we grasp what is, what is ahead of us, what, what has happened to us through the uh, baptism and, and, and receiving of the Holy Spirit. 
Verse 6 now. Uh, Well, let's go to verse 5. So, who is he who overcomes the world but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? We must have the Son in order to be connected to God. And we don't get connected... uh, we, we, uh, and, and vice versa. God has to do the call for, for the Son to become involved in our lives. Okay, now, let's go to verse 6. All right, so verse 6. This is he, speaking of Jesus Christ, this is he who came by water and blood. Jesus Christ came by water and Jesus Christ came by blood. God wants us Uh, And and John here is emphasizing this uh, near the end of his life. He came by water and blood. This is Jesus Christ. And he, he didn't only come by water, but by water and blood. Then he says, and it is the Spirit which bears witness. God's Holy Spirit bears witness of this because the Spirit is truth. We've talked about this multiple times. God's Spirit, must, we must work in spirit and in truth. Uh, we must worship him in that. We can't worship him in, we can't worship him in the truth unless his Spirit is involved, unless his Spirit is working with us, unless his Spirit is working in us, either one. We cannot worship God. It has to be in the truth and it has to be through God working with us through his essence or working in us through his essence, which is the spirit, which is also truth. Okay, so very important for us to recognize those, uh, that concept. One is the, the spirit and truth connection, but secondly, the one who came by water and the one who came by blood with the spirit bearing witness of that. Okay, so let's go now to Matthew 3. Let's go to Matthew 3. Matthew 3 talks about the time when John the Baptist is baptizing folks in the Jordan River. And, uh, of course, the Pharisees and Sadducees come and want to be baptized. He chastises them uh, because of their attitude in coming to him and their reasons for doing so. But then we come to verse 13. And we see an element of this uh, Jesus coming by water. Matthew 3.13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. And John tried to prevent him. He said, well, I need you to be, ba- I need to be baptized by you, uh, Jesus. And, and you're coming to me to baptize me? Jesus answered and said to him, permit this to be so now. For thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. So he allowed him. Uh, So John the Baptist then baptizes Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Verse 16, When he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God, God's Holy Spirit, descending down upon him like a dove and alighting on him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. He was baptized. He came up from the water. He was immersed in the water and he came up from the water and God's Spirit came down upon him. But he also says in, 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 in 1 John 5, 6 that Jesus Christ came by blood. How did Jesus come by blood? Well, it's 
you know, simply, he gave his life. The life is, is in the blood. Jesus sacrificed his life. His side was pierced at his death. Uh, blood came out, uh, and uh, through that blood being shed, our sins are, are forgiven, and we are able to have life. Let's go to John 19, because John 19 brings out an interesting, uh, an interesting statement that I don't know that we can make that we can make uh, any more of this than what it says. I, I, we can conjecture a bit on this this passage of of what else might be going on, but we see the water as Jesus came by water. He came by his being baptized, and we also see that Jesus came by blood by his sacrifice. But it's interesting that that this apostle John chose to, to note it the way that he did in, in his uh, account of, of the, the good news of, of Jesus Christ's life and, and the good news of the kingdom of God as he depicted it because he comes back and says it in 1 John. I, I, I don't know the significance of it. We'll explore it briefly, but I'll, I'll leave it out there as a, it, makes, it makes me wonder uh, kind of concept. John 19, verse 33 Jesus is uh, being crucified. He's been on the, on the, uh, the staros, the, the stake, for, for some time now. And verse 30 talks about it being finished. He bows his head. He says it is finished. He gave up his spirit. Now verse 33. Verse 33. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. Now, my understanding of this... Many of you are probably more aware of this than I am, but I think with the, what, they, what they had said with the crucifixion was that when you're in that state uh, of, of being crucified and, and with having uh, you, uh, you know, nailed where you are uh, in that state with your arms raised, you have to have the strength to be able to lift yourself up and down to get air in. And over time, you weaken and weaken and weaken to where you cannot lift yourself up and, and you can't get in air. And then it's, it's an excruciating death. Well, they wanted to get through things really quickly because we've got the, the, the high day coming. We've got to get them down off of these and get these buried because the first day of unleavened bread is starting at sunset. So they would go and they break their legs and you break your legs and then you don't have the strength to lift up and breathe and you die, die very quickly. Well, uh, but when they, so it says, when the soldiers came and, and broke the legs of the first and of the other who was crucified with him, but when they came to Jesus, verse 33, they saw that he was already dead, so they didn't break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and immediately blood and water came out. So both blood and water came out. And then John says, he who has seen it has testified, and, and his testimony is true, and he knows that he's telling the truth so that you may believe. John said, I was there. I saw it. I, I saw it uh, as that happened, and blood and water came out. I saw him, a human being, die, and I saw him breathe his last breath. I saw him die. I saw, I saw the soldiers pierce him uh, in, in his side, uh, and we'll talk about that here in just a second. And, and, I, and I saw this happen. So he says, uh, verse 36, For these things were done that the Scriptures should be fulfilled. Not one of his bones shall be broken. 
and none of his bones uh, was broken in that situation, none, uh, none broken at all. Uh, and verse 37, and again another scripture says, they shall look on him whom they pierced. So various commentaries speak to this whole situation of this blood and water coming out. You know, what is there significance in that? Uh, Barnes notes says, you know, it's a natural kind of effect and to put more into that than, than just that, uh, and we'll, let's talk about the natural effect. The natural effect is, as uh, several other commentaries bring out, uh, Christ would have been uh, not way up high on, on, on the cross or, or on the stake, but slightly elevated off the ground. So a soldier who would have pierced him would have gone in an upward fashion with, with the spear to, to pierce him, and they would have pierced his heart. Now, uh, Jameson, Fawcett, and Brown sp uh, speaks uh, to this. It is now well known that the effect of a long-continued and intense agony is frequently to produce a secretion of a colorless lymph within the pericardium, and the pericardium is the, the membrane uh, enveloping the heart, amounting in many cases to a very considerable quantity. Gill's uh, uh, commentary, expository, speaks to this as well, that the pericardium uh, contains a small quantity of water, so with the piercing, if they pierced him, uh, you know, in the heart, it would have also hit the pericardium, so all of water, both water, a water, a liquidish uh, substance, as well as blood would have come out. Uh, so some think about that. Some think, is there some significance to water, not only at Jesus Christ's baptism, but also water coming out at Jesus Christ's death. I don't know. I don't know. I, I mean, we see other passages that there, that there may be uh, some significance to that. Usually, uh, you know, when a person dies and, and they talk about, you know, blood was shed, uh, you, you don't hear usually blood and water was shed. I, so I don't know. I, one day I will find out if there is more significance to the blood and water being shed at that point than, than uh, simply just saying his, his blood was shed uh, for that. Various thoughts with that, and uh, we'll talk about that in a second. But let's go back to 1 John 5 now. Let's go back to 1 John 5 because the, the interesting nature of this passage uh, does not end there in my opinion. 1 John 5, verse 6, so we know that the blood referenced his death, uh, but what about the, the water? Uh, was Christ coming by water, referencing both his baptism at the beginning of his ministry and, and to some degree as well, maybe, the water poured out at his death? Uh, don't know for certain, but uh, I wonder, I wonder. Uh, it's just interesting that, that John chose to note it that way, uh, in the 90s AD. So let's continue verse 7. Verse 7. 1 John 5 verse 7. And now he, he comes to a statement that I, I think most of us who have a history in the church uh, are, are very familiar with this passage in that there is a section that has, has been added. Uh, so let's deal with that. Let's just read it first. If you have a uh, I don't want to mess this up. I didn't research this before, but I think it's uh, like a Byzantine text, a, 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 a Bible that draws from uh, 
some of the, the major texts that come from the Byzantine text. It, it typically will include this passage in, in, in Scripture. If you have a, one that uh, is from a, some earlier texts, from Western texts, I believe, uh, some of these will not even list this in the Bible. They'll put it in a marginal reference in, inside that. But I'll read it the way it reads in the New King James. Verse 7, For there are three that bear witness in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit. And these three are one. And there are three that bear witness on earth, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. And these three agree as one. So again, uh, any of us that have been in the church for, for many years uh, would, would recognize uh, some of what's going on here. Uh, one is the, the significance of this, this part that says, in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit, and these three are one, and there are three that bear witness on earth. Uh, and I'll just read from Barnes' notes. That passage with, with that, uh, that part, whose genuineness is disputed, is included in brackets in the following quotation, and I just, just read that. Uh, if the disputed passage therefore be omitted as spurious, the whole passage would read instead, there are three that bear record the spirit, the water, and the blood, and these three agree in one. Uh, the reasons which seem to me, uh, Barnes notes uh, says, uh, to prove that the passage included in brackets is spurious and should not be regarded as a part of the inspired writings uh, are briefly the following, and then he lists that. Well, so one is that no Greek manuscripts in no Greek manuscripts is this passage found except in uh, that are written before the 16th century. Okay, so, so that would be in the 1500s they finally found something that, that had that added. None of the earlier texts have that uh, listed. Uh, another statement that, that Barnes notes uh, makes that is very significant is that when you look at that, what would you say, what, if that is included in the, in the Bible, if that were included as the, the, the divine word of God, what was just written there, what would that yield proof of? The Trinity, the Trinity, of course, uh, that there are these three beings, these three separate beings, and these three beings uh, uh, agree as one. Well, uh, one of the things that Barnes notes mentions uh, that I, I think is, is pretty telling is that okay, they were dealing in the, what was it, the fourth, fifth centuries, they were really trying to figure out the nature of God. And if it was there in the Bible, if it was there in the text at the time, that would have been their go-to scripture. They would have said, see, it says right here. And that scripture is never mentioned in terms of when they're trying to form their doctrine of the nature of God and come to the, the decision of it being a trinity, of God being a, a trinity. So uh, that's huge. Uh, and then, you know, the third point that he makes is, again, it's never quoted by down through the years uh, uh, others uh, ab about that. It, it didn't really come into uh, being until very, very late. So uh, here's my point. Now, what can happen with us in the church because uh, we are non-Trinitarian, we do not believe in three, three beings to make up the one Godhead, we can see that passage right there and we can go to that passage and, and even bring out the fact that, see, this, this was added to try to really make, make this uh, you know, hit home for their Trinitarian belief. Uh, and in doing so, we can miss out on the essence of the beauty of the oneness 
that God wants us to really consider. So let's, let's look at that now. So to read again, this is how it should read. For there are three that bear witness. As he finishes verse 6, he comes into verse 7. For there are three that bear witness, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. And these three agree as one. And that's the title of the message today. Not uh, earth, wind, and fire. Not earth, wind, fire, and air. Not uh, look at what the midichlorians can do. But the three that agree as one. It's very important for us as God's people, especially as we enter the spring Holy Day season uh, and, and coming to Passover this Friday night, to consider this truth, this, true, this trueness of these three that are in perfect agreement. These three are inextricably linked, the spirit, the water, and the blood. This was so important uh, that the last living apostle of Jesus Christ's uh, initial ministry hit this very hard. He hit this very hard, and this was very, very significant. He wanted to get this across to God's people at that time. How much focus do we place on, on the spirit, uh, the water, and the blood? I hope this ends up being a, a good preparatory spring feast season message for us. Let's go to Romans 5. Let's talk about these today in reverse order. Let's go with the blood first. The spirit, the water, and the blood. And these three are in agreement. They are in complete agreement. They agree as one. Romans 5, verse 8. Romans 5. Verse 8, as we think about God's great love and compassion on us, we see him stating here, Paul, but God demonstrates his love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God loved us so much in, in his calling and in bringing us to him that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified, rendered innocent, declared righteous, uh, hear the meaning of justified, by his blood we shall be saved from wrath through him. We, we recognize that as God deals with, with these truths, God is, God is eternal and he's looking back into eternity and he's looking forward into eternity. And, and as he sees this, this whole situation of Christ's shed blood, he sees, he, he sees forward of what that means, of, of, of the being declared righteous, of, of how that goes into eternity for that person who has been declared righteous and dwells with him for eternity as he sees that out into even into the behold I make all things new. God sees all of that. As he's, as he's dealing with us. Hebrews uh, 9, verse 16. We'll read this Passover. Of course, we read the, some earlier verses here, and in fact, we'll touch on those here in just a second, but in several minutes. But let's look at uh, this passage after that. Hebrews 9, verse 16, that speaks to the blood, the importance of the blood as we recognize uh, that with, with respect to what we're going to be doing here in just a few days. Hebrews 9, verse 16, For where there is a testament, there must also of a necessity be the death of the testator. For a testament is in force after men are dead, since it has no power 
at all while the testator lives. Therefore, not even the first covenant was dedicated without blood. The first covenant was just a copy of, of the reality of what Jesus Christ did. It, it wasn't without blood. It had blood involved in it. Verse 19, when Moses had spoken every precept to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of calves and goats and with water, scarlet wool and hyssop, and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, this is the blood of the covenant which God has commanded. And then likewise, he sprinkled with blood the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry. I, I try to imagine that, you know, back in the sacrificial times of what that was like to just, you know, blood, blood, blood is going everywhere. It's getting sprinkled on the people. It's here and there. But just a copy to understand what Jesus Christ's blood was, was going to do for us. Verse 22, very important statement. And according to the law, almost all things are purified with blood. Hebrews 10.4, it's not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. It's not that. So it's a different kind of blood that's really being talked about here, the reality. And without the shedding of blood, verse 22, there is no forgiveness. Blood must be shed for forgiveness to occur. It must be shed. Verse 23, therefore it was necessary that these copies of the things uh, in the the heavens should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has not entered the holy places made with, the holy places made with hands, which are just, they're mere copies of the true Jesus Christ has entered into heaven itself. He's there now, and he appears in the presence of God for us. This this individual, not that he should have to offer himself over and over and over again since the foundation of the world, but now, once at the end of the ages, he has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. He gave himself, this being that existed in eternity, came to this earth as a human being and gave of his life a physical flesh and blood human being, allowed himself to to be sacrificed for mankind and blood to be shed for our forgiveness. So he says, and as it is appointed for men to die once, but after this the judgment, then he says again here in verse 28, so Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many, To those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. So we see God that that is teaching us this principle of try to think like me. He's saying think like me. Think, realize what all this means. Christ came and did this for that time. But in doing so, we're reflecting upon salvation. We're reflecting on this this beginning process in our lives which leads to to salvation, that he'll appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. He's going to come back a second time. He's going to come back again. Uh, So God is thinking forward, backward, and seeing into eternity, seeing the future of mankind, seeing the future for us, uh, and thinking big picture like. But it it happened because of Jesus Christ's blood. One other passage discussing the blood. Let's go to Ephesians 2. Ephesians 2, verse 11. Ephesians 2, verse 11. 
He says, uh, therefore, remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, you're talking to those at Ephesus, uh, many who, uh, if not most, who are Gentiles, uh, the circumcision, the Jews of the day would consider them uncircumcision, uh, who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, uh, made in the flesh by hands. Verse 12, that at that time... You were without Christ. You were aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. You were strangers from the covenants of promise. You didn't have any hope, and you were without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once, who were far off, who once were far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. The blood of Christ covering our sins allows us to be brought near to God. To, to be brought right there to God, to, to be brought right to the presence of God. God the Father and Jesus Christ want us to fully recognize that as we go through this year after year and keep the Passover, that we recognize we are brought into the presence of God by the blood of Christ. And we're deeply thankful, deeply appreciative of that. And it's not necessarily a, a renewing of the covenant this Passover. It's like, I've, I've got to renew this covenant. It is, it is a memorial, a remembrance of what his death did for us and what it does for us day in and day out. Passover is very important because it, we, we go through the Passover to, again, to remind ourselves of this process that is in place day in and day out in our lives, if we're in fact living in that, in that world, in that realm, day in and day out as our life, in our lives. This, this is what has taken place because of that. So we, uh, we, we keep this as an annual uh, reminder, an annual memorial of what that shedding of blood has done for us, and we do so with great great thankfulness. Ephesians 1, 7, uh, we won't turn there as we'll quote that at Passover, but in him we have redemption. We have redemption. It's through his blood. It's the forgiveness of sins uh, according to the riches of his grace. So now we talk about the water. What about the water? What's the importance of the water and how do they, how do they blend? Let's turn, if we, if we could, to uh, Romans 6, passage that we cover often with respect to baptism. You know, Romans, uh, I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians 10, uh, we won't turn there today as we've read that recently, but how it talks about Israel. So Israel came through the Red Sea. They were all baptized, it says, in the Red Sea. They went through, that, through the Red Sea. They left Egypt. They left sin behind. We're baptized. We leave sin behind. Uh, the Egyptian army was destroyed. Sin is destroyed. We leave that behind. Uh, we go forward. Uh, we're, we're able to have this new life as, as we head to the promised land, as Israel could head to the promised land. Romans 6, let's look there. Romans 6, we'll read, uh, start in verse 1. Romans 6, verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Well, certainly not. How shall we who died to that way of life, we've been buried, we've put that behind us, how shall we live any longer in it, practice that way of life? Uh, obviously, we will struggle, we will battle, but we don't live in that. We don't dwell in, in sin. May we not dwell in sin. But he says, certainly not. Verse 3, or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus 
were baptized into his death. Okay, now, here's what I want us to, to really start thinking about as we move through this message. Start thinking, uh, again, about this, this fellowship factor, this oneness that God the Father and Jesus Christ are wanting us to think in. Again, not earth, wind, and fire, not, not earth, wind, fire, and water, uh, not the midichlorians, but think, think of it from the, the oneness of what God our Father is, is wanting to do, his, his fullness, his dwelling in all of this, and, and wanting us to come into that experience with him. Uh, so here's an element of that. He's saying we're sharing in this. We, we share with Christ in this. It's not just he did that so Burnett over here can have opportunity at eternal life. No, he did what he did, and, and he wants us to recognize that we share in that. We share in that with him uh, as we reflect on what our, what our baptism was and, and what this way of life is. Okay, so here we go. Uh, or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus, we were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him. We were buried along with him, just as he who had no sin died for us and, and was buried. We, through watery, uh, water baptism, die along with Jesus Christ. We, we die to that, to that way of life that we had previously uh, into death, that just as Jesus Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, he was brought up by God the Father. He did not bring himself up. God the Father, in his love for his Son, and through that sacrifice, brought him up and raised him up in glory. Even so, we all should, should as we come up from the watery grave, the baptism, we walk in a newness of life. Our sins have been covered. Death has been put away. We're walking as new creatures in God. For he says, for if we've been united together in the likeness of his death, again, there's this, this harmony here. We're all united together in the likeness of his death. He's saying, think about this from the construct of as Christ was raised, we'll also be in, be like, in, the, in the likeness of his resurrection. Verse 6, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him. Our old man was put on the, the stake with him. We, we gladly put our old man on the stake with him that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. And if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall live with him. We died with, with that, so now we're raised in newness of life, and we live with him. Our existence is, is with him. Verse 9, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more, death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. And it's the same for us. The life that we live now, we live to God. He says, consider yourselves that way. Consider yourselves to be dead to that way of life. But alive to God, and the reason we, we have life is because it is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Immersed in water, the grave, buried with Christ, united together in the likeness of his death, the old man crucified with him, the body of sin done away with, resurrected to life, a new life. 
As we begin to discuss uh, the third element, the body, uh, we have the blood and the water, and now we have the spirit. Let's look at the uh, epistle to Titus to uh, make that transition. We'll see how these three begin to be tied together. As I mentioned, it was very important to John for us to remember that the three, the, the spirit, the, the water, and the blood agree as one. I think it's very important that we reflect upon that as we move forward. Titus, Titus 3, verse 4, he says, when the, when the kindness and the love of God, this great compassionate Father, uh, as, as we've talked before, uh, speaking here of God the Father, He is our Savior. God, God is our Deliverer. Our Father is our Deliverer. Uh, Jesus Christ is our Savior as well. He saved us by His, by his blood. Uh, but when the kindness and, and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness, which we've done. I haven't done anything to earn this, to, to be given this. It is God's love and his mercy and his calling that has, has brought me to him. It's brought us to him. Uh, not, not by works that we've done to, to get us there. It's, it's through him. He says, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. He saved us from that path towards death. And he did it through the washing of palagenesia, the washing of, of the new birth, the, the regeneration, and the renewing or the renovation, the, the complete change for the better of the Holy Spirit. We have the water, which is depicted by our baptism, and there is, a, in a sense, a washing uh, through that water, uh, as, as well as we reflect upon the, the, the shed blood being, uh, you know, covering our sins with respect to, you know, causing forgiveness with the sacrifice. But he says, he saved us through the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. Now, this Holy Spirit is, is what he poured out on us, verse 6. He's poured out his Spirit on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. God our Father is our Savior, Jesus Christ is our Savior, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Christ our Savior. So verse 7, so at that, having then been justified, having been rendered innocent, so God looks upon us as he sees us, he sees us washed, washed in the, uh, the, the, the washing of regeneration, he sees us covered in the blood of Christ. He raises us from the watery grave and he declares us righteousness by, by his grace. To know as he looks forward into eternity and as we have the mind of God, we look forward into eternity that we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. I don't think it's a small thing for what Paul says next in verse 8. I do not think this is a small thing. He says, this is a faithful saying. He says, I want you to think about this. These things I want you to affirm constantly. Constantly keep this in your mind. Affirm this constantly that those who believe in God should be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and they are profitable to men. As we live in the society that we do, as Mr. Mr. Peoples talked about, the, the challenges that we see going on around us and all of the distractions out there, Paul's coming back to Titus saying, 
affirm these things constantly. These are the kinds of things that keep us rooted and grounded. These are the kinds of, of concepts that keep us focused when we see all the distractions going out there. You see this going on? Do you see this going on? You see this political situation? You see the situation with masks? You see this with here, with this, with this? What's happening? This per- potential governmental a coup that could be coming up here. What, what, what are these people doing behind the scenes? What's this country doing here? Are we to watch? Yes. We're to watch. We're to watch what's going on in the world. But, but at the same time, we can get so caught up in, in some of those things that we lose the focus of what is truly important, that God is, is, is bringing us up and has brought us up in a newness of life that is looking to this, a reality, not interference, not interference. There's a lot of interference going on in the world today. We are to watch. We are to observe. But as, as Luke tells us, we are also to observe here. To what degree am I uh, maintaining good works? To what degree am I reflecting upon the incredible blessing of God the Father having cleansed me and brought me into this state, the, the renewing of the Holy Spirit, which he's poured on me abundantly. This is the only thing ultimately that matters. Uh, you know, it could be aneurysm time for me in 15 minutes and it's gone. What, what, what matters? What matters? Does it matter who may come in and try to take over the government or, or what uh, this thing could be, uh, this infrared thing or the mark of the beast? Or I've got to watch, I've got to watch, what, what could it be that? It doesn't matter. What matters is my relationship with God and my reliance upon him and his son and the power of God that dwells in me through the Holy Spirit, which gives me life. That, that is what matters. And, and the degree to which I yield to my, my Father in, in love and deep appreciation for Him and walk that way until I'm dead. It's that way for all of us. And, and as we come to this new, this new season of, of going forward, may we keep that focus in our minds. Okay, so let's now talk about the Spirit. Let's talk about the Spirit. I like this passage in Zechariah. Let's go to Zechariah 12. Zechariah 12. Uh, Return of Christ, uh, millennial reign, kinds of concepts, but he ties here uh, this aspect of the sacrifice of Christ and also uh, God's Holy Spirit, how, uh, in a sense, the, the blood and the, the Spirit, the Spirit of God, are, are inextricably linked. Zechariah 12, verse 8. In that day, the Eternal will defend the inhabitants of Jerusalem. I, I love the imagery here. Uh, notice what he says next. The one who is feeble among them. This little feeble person in Jerusalem in that day, the, the, the little weak person. I think in Mr. Bennis' message uh, a while back of the, of the little puppy and the, and the person that uh, looked after the puppy, uh, those of you that heard that message. You know, the, the little feeble, the one who is feeble among them in that day shall be like David. David, the king of Israel. That, that's, that's, that's the difference as... as uh, as Jesus Christ sets up his reign uh, in the millennium. 
And, and the one, uh, so he says, shall be like David. And the house of David shall be like God. You know, and I think about that. I think of what God is doing for, for the spiritual house of Israel and what God will do at the return of Jesus Christ to bring us into the God family, to make us uh, like him and to be like him and see him as he is and be a part of that. Uh, so the, those the, the house of David shall be like God, uh, like the angel of the Lord before them. The angel of the Lord, speaking of, of Jesus Christ. It's, it's, it's all that, that, the way that he brings that together in connection. Verse 9, it shall be in that day that I will seek to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. Verse 10, and I will pour on the house of Israel and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem, I'll pour out the spirit of grace. We've, we've had that spirit of grace, God's Holy Spirit, His power, His might, uh, His essence. We've had that poured out upon us now. But he says, I'll pour that on the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the spirit of grace and supplication, and then they will look on me whom they pierced. Yes, they will mourn for him as one, who, one mourns for his only son and grieve for him as one grieves for his firstborn. Hebrews 9, Hebrews 9. <clears throat> Hebrews 9 talks about just all of the, the aspects of the, of the first covenant that, that had its, the, the items uh, in the, in the uh, tabernacle as well as the washings and, and all the things that were symbolic of, of the reality of what's going on now. Uh, look, look to the, the tie-in here. Verse 7, but into the second part, the high priest went alone once a year, not without blood. He couldn't come in unless, uh, again, he had a bull offering so that he could enter into that place, which he offered for himself and for the people's sins. Uh, they had the two goats. He did that uh, as well, the, the sin, off, sin offering there that for that goat, the one that was the, uh, not the Azazel, but the other. Uh, for the people's sin is committed in ignorance. Verse 8, the Holy Spirit, so God's Spirit, God's Holy Spirit, even in that situation, indicating this for us now, that the way into the holiest of holies was not yet made manifest while that first tabernacle was still standing. It was only symbolic. The sacrifices and the washings and all that, it says it could not make that happen. Uh, and God's Spirit given to us helps us understand that, that he had not done that with them at that time, but he has done that for us now. Verse 11, Jesus Christ came as high priest. He came of the good things uh, to come and the good things, for that matter, for us that have come with the greater and more perfect tabernacle. This, this isn't one that's made with, with hands. This is not of this creation. It's not with the blood of goats and calves. It is with his blood, his own precious blood. He entered the most holy place in heaven and he did it once for all of mankind, having obtained eternal redemption. For, for if the blood, and goats, uh, blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean, if that sanctifies for the of, purifying of the flesh back then under the first covenant, he says then in verse 14, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit, the blood of Christ and God's Holy Spirit, what does that 
what does that do? Offered himself without spot to God. He offered himself and, and gave his life. Uh, again, pictured by the shedding of his blood. How much more shall that cleanse us? How much more will that cleanse our conscience? This, this washing from dead works to serve the living God. This is the reality of what's going on in our lives now. This is the reality for God's people. For this reason, it says he's the mediator of the new covenant by means of his death for the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant. God who looks forward, who sees what we're dealing with now, he's looking forward into eternity. He's asking us to do the same because he says that those who are called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. As we come to Passover every year, we reflect especially on that, that through all of these things working together, the Spirit, the water, and the blood, John wants us to know that. Think about this God's Holy Spirit. Think about the water of baptism. Think about the blood. Through that, we receive the promise of the eternal inheritance, the thing that really matters, uh, dis despite all that everybody else in the world is saying really, really matters right now. Uh, Romans 8. Romans 8. We won't uh, turn to John 6. John 6 has, uh, is filled with, with truth about this in terms of eating of Christ and drinking of Christ. Uh, it is the Spirit which gives life. Uh, as, as he says in John 6.63, we have life through God's indwelling of us through his Spirit. Uh, Romans 8.5. <clears throat> I think sometimes uh, we can get, we can track so much in our, uh, in our understanding of the holy days that we can think, okay, Passover is, is Jesus Christ died, uh, blood uh, and bread, picture, picture this, then uh, we come, spring holy days, okay, put sin out of my life, remove sin, uh, take in of what's good come to Pentecost. Pentecost is when the Holy Spirit came. You know, we can work, work through like that. And, and we, 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 do want to under, we do want to understand and grasp that. But God wants us to see it all. <laughs> he wants us to see the fullness of it all, how he is all in all. He wants us to recognize uh, the effect or the impact of his Holy Spirit on our understanding even of Passover. We read uh, as, John, as Christ made his final statements to the disciples, he talks about this comforter that is coming. This comforter is coming. Well, the comforter has come. We have received the comforter. We have God's Holy Spirit. So as we, as we come to Passover, we recognize what that is to, to live in Christ uh, and to live in God because they dwell in us. John, uh, Romans 8, verse 5. Those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. I do not want to beat a dead horse on this, but I, this is something I've got to continually keep in my mind. There are so many things of the flesh, of, of the things that are going on in this world around us, that God uh, knows that we can allow ourselves, if we don't keep the focus that we need to, we can get off on these things. We can get off on all that's going on in, in our society today, all the, the world's problems and, and what this might do and what this might do and what this might do. We are to watch. We are to observe. But 
He wants us to set our minds, our to fill our heads, the space that fills our heads, the, the space that fills the most portions of our head on the things of the Spirit. Those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. The carnal mind, verse 7, is, is enmity against God. Uh, it's, it's not subject to God's law. It can't be. The, the spiritual mind can be subject to the law. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But he says to us, and we think about this deeply as we come to this season, we are not in the flesh. We're not in that. We're not in that mindset. But we're in the spirit. If if indeed God's spirit dwells in us, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he's not his. If Christ is in you, though, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life. We are alive because God's spirit dwells in us. He is righteousness, and he's declared us righteous through, through the sacrifice of Christ through his shed blood. Verse 11, but if the spirit of him who, which raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit which dwells in you. Very, very critical to understand that construct uh, and how it fits with, again, the, the water and the blood. If you live according to the Spirit, he says, you're going to die. If, but, but if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body. We reflect on how Jesus Christ uh, put to death death. He, he put to death that and, and came, uh, came back alive with us for, for us to have that understanding of what that is to be able to put to death death when we will ultimately be made spirit beings in his family. Uh, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. That's why we can cry out, Abba, Father, because the Spirit itself, verse 16, dwells, bears witness with our spirit that we are God's children. If we're his children, then we're heirs. We're heirs and joint heirs with Christ. He's talking again about this fullness of God, this the, the all-encompassing nature of, of what God is and what he, what he possesses and what he wants to offer us as joint heirs with Jesus Christ, the one who inherits all things from God. So now we come back to 1 John 5. 1 John 5. First John 5, after John makes this statement that there are these three that bear witness, the spirit, the water, and the blood, and that these three agree as one, they're all inextricably linked. They're all connected. It is, it is one concept or one construct from which we, we have an understanding of, of what's happened to us and what will happen for all of mankind. Verse 11 he says, so this is the testimony. This is the testimony that, that God has given us eternal life. Jesus in, in John 6 said, uh, he who eats of me and, and drinks of me, he says, has eternal life and I will raise him up in the last day. John is reiterating what Jesus Christ said in John 6, that when we have his spirit and when we have the understanding of the water and the blood and what that does. We have eternal life. That down payment is there. And he'll raise us up in the last day. Uh, 
This life is in his son. Verse 12, he who has the son has life, possesses the life. If we have the son, we possess that. He who doesn't have the son of God does not have life. I've written these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. I want to wrap things up today in Ephesians. We'll read a few verses from Ephesians to reflect upon how, not only how these three work together, but to step back as we think about the Star Wars concept that's out there or the, or the, the Avatar and, and all of these elements blending together. What, what the real true oneness, the real true fullness, the, the really true all-in-all all concept that God has given us as his people. Something that he gives us that he is bringing us into uh, and and deeply desires that we keep that at the forefront of our minds. Ephesians 1. <clears throat> These are the big things, you know. These are the things that really matter. We have peace. I know the more that I am thinking on these kinds of things, the more peace I've had. Uh, it just it doesn't matter what comes at me. The more I think about these kinds of things and and dwell in, in the heavenly places with God in prayer and, and focus on that, the more I have peace in, in whatever comes my way. I don't pray for God to, to uh, hit me with your best shot, fire away. As this, I, That's not in my notes. That's a song from somewhere back in the 80s. But, but I, 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 as we talk often, I, I pray for God to be merciful to me Please be gentle as you teach me what I need to know, but I know I need to know things. I know I need to experience things, and through the experiencing of those, uh, it makes me stronger as I rely on you, but I, I am continually trying to get this in my head. Uh, and I, I just know that the more that I do that, the more peace I have. The more peace I have. The less time I spend doing that, the less peace I have. The more that other things flood into my mind and the stresses and the pressures and this and that and the unrest that we can feel emotionally and spiritually. It's just, it's just a, a great, precious gift that God gives us, but we've got to walk through that. We've got to walk through that door. Ephesians 1, verse 11, he talks about this, this whole uh, concept of, of what Christ has done for us and, and the impact of, of God's Holy Spirit. Verse 11 in him also we've obtained an inheritance, predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Here's this, this allness, if I can say that word. God's working all these things out, all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. In him you also trusted, after you heard the word of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you're sealed with the, the Holy Spirit of promise, this, this promise that's the, the earnest, the guarantee, the down payment of this inheritance that's coming, the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. Through that, verse 17, that, that God... Uh, 
that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, can give us this spirit of wisdom, this, this understanding, this revelation in the knowledge of him, that our, the eyes of our understanding are enlightened, that we may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of the inheritance of his saints. And, and then we see a definition of the Holy Spirit here, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us by, by, uh, who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ Jesus when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his, at his right hand in the heavenly places. It's far above all the principalities of this world, the dimension, dominions that we see, the various power blocks here and there within our nation and, and other nations and what the beast power may do and this and that. It's far above all of that. It, that every name that is named, not only in this age, but also that is an age to come. He put all things under the feet of Jesus Christ. He gave Jesus Christ to be the head over all things to the church. Here we are, God's people. We are of one. We are of his body, of the body, the singular body of Jesus Christ. And it's the fullness. Here's this big concept again. It's all coming back to that, this all gathering together of one. As we see ourselves as part of the body, we are all of one, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. And that's, that's that, that looking forward into the future of what he's doing for us now, but also God fills all in all. He's bringing us into that kind of eternity of filling us all in all. And he's done so by the Spirit. He's done so by the water and by the blood. Look at verse 19 of chapter 2. I won't read that passage, but he talks about us being the household of God. We're, we're one house, the household of God. Christ is our chief cornerstone. I, I will read 21 and 22. In whom the whole building, singular building, this singular, it's all coming together to one. This singular building fitted together, it grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. The Spirit, the water, and the blood. Let's go finally, our last passage, to Ephesians 4, because I think Ephesians 4 brings to us this this all coming together, this, this fullness of God in, in the, the way that he wants us to consider ourselves to be of one as, as we go through day in and day, day out life and as we come to the Passover, as we are of God, as we are of Christ, as we are of one another as a singular body. Think this way, he's telling us. I, I beseech you as the, as the prisoner of the Lord, walk worthy of this calling. This is an incredible calling that we've been given. An incredible calling. This is a great time to be a part of the body of Christ. It's a great time to be alive, to, to grasp this. Uh, walk worthy of that, he says, and, and do it in lowliness and in gentleness. Do it with a long-suffering approach. Don't get offended quickly. Bear with one another in love. Uh, endeavor to keep this unity of the Spirit because there's one Spirit. His Holy Spirit is one Spirit. So we've got to work as the household of God, the dwelling place of God in the Spirit to, to keep that unity of the Spirit. 
and hate disunity, hate anything that cause that gets in that can get in there to divide us, but keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Because there's one body, it's the body of Christ. That's you and I. There's one spirit, his Holy Spirit, that is, is, is one spirit, is, is his essence. He and the, and the Son are, are one in thought and mind. They're, they're, they're so connected. He, he wants us to tie into that as he puts his essence in us. There's one body and one spirit just as you were called in, in, in one hope of your calling. There's one Lord, it's Jesus Christ. There's one faith. It's the, the faith that we share, the common faith that we share. There's one baptism. There's one God and Father of all who is above all, and this being is through all, and he is in you all. So, brethren, as we wrap this up, think about the passages that we covered today under this third portion of, of simply the Spirit and what, is get, and what God is getting at through the Apostle Paul. Think about what he's getting at through the Apostle John uh, as we think of how the Spirit, the water, and the blood agree as one, all of one, not midichlorians that exist in every single cell, uh, not earth, wind, fire, and water in perfect balance, not even earth, wind, and fire as they sing the song fantasy. Uh, I mean, come on, we, we understand. It is the spirit, the water, and the blood. And because of the agreement of these, you and I, all of us, we're being built together for a dwelling place of God in the spirit. We're, we're to be a part of the church, which is, it is the fullness of him. It's the fullness of him who fills all in all. We're to receive the internal inheritance. We're to receive the, the hope of his calling. What are the riches and the glory of, of, of his inheritance? We are heirs of God. We are joint heirs of Jesus Christ. And then as we read, and as we read in Ephesians 4 about the oneness, we're part of one body. We, we strive to be of one mind. We are part of one spirit, one Lord who gave his life and shed his blood for us. One baptism, baptized in the watery grave, one faith. And through that, we are connected at this last point because the Spirit, the water, and the blood are in agreement as one. It points us to where we should be pointed as we go forward to keep Passover this year and as we continue in our day-in and day-out trek forward. We focus upon there is one God and Father of all, that loving Father who made all of this possible. He is above all, he is through all, and he is in you all. He's in me, he's in you through the power of the Holy Spirit, and we are connected by that. This great God is bringing us into his family for eternity. Brethren, we are so blessed. We are so blessed. From that, it makes me pull back to what Jesus Christ said at that last prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. Father, I pray that, uh, that they may be one as you and I are one.